What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we begin a new series on forgive and forget. There seems to be no more challenging subject in the Christian faith than to what degree we must forgive others. Living life, we know we will be hurt by someone. Uh, If we are paying attention, we'll even notice that we ourselves are hurting others, whether we mean to or not. Then we'll be asking ourselves all over again, do I really have to forgive them? And if we're the one wronged, shouldn't they have to forgive me? For some, they are certain this is how the world should work, and it's simply a matter of forgiving. But is that really true? Does God demand that we forgive no matter what? Does he demand that our enemies must forgive us? We're going to dive into the scriptures. Our first reading will be read by Joe. It's in Matthew chapter 5, which is part of a scripture famously called the Sermon on the Mount. It is some of the most challenging scripture you'll find anywhere in the Bible as Jesus demands a standard of moral living that no human could possibly meet. Jesus has begun his earthly ministry, gotten incredibly famous for his miracles, and then he begins to teach the people. He starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And then he tells the crowd how incredibly important what he is about to say is. Let's hear his words from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult the brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on your way to court with them. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And from Proverbs 17:9, one who forgives an affront fosters friendship, but one who dwells on disputes will alienate a friend. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Help us to discern what forgiving means for us. 
and when it is necessary and hard to do, help us to take that step. Help us to let go of what wounds our souls. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The news has been incredibly grim this past week. Images of war and and gruesome stories about death and harrowing survival have been everywhere. When the southern border of Israel was attacked from Gaza, many were caught off guard. Though attacks from Gaza have happened before, nothing like this has. Usually the attacks on Israel involve rockets, and Israel has what they call the Iron Dome, which is a missile defense system to shoot down the rockets. This time, though, 5,000 rockets were fired in 20 minutes. Fighters from Gaza attacked checkpoints at the border using pickup trucks, motorcycles, bulldozers, and gliders. As they crossed into Israel, thousands of citizens were targeted. People in their homes, police stations, and even hundreds of people attending a music festival were attacked. Well over a thousand civilians are dead, and some were killed in the most brutal and horrific of ways. As this news was coming out, I wanted to know how our nearby Jewish brothers and sisters were handling this, so I reached out to Rabbi Joshua Waxman, who is the rabbi at Beth Rishon, the synagogue down the street from us. We met together, and there were several things that stuck out to me as we talked. The first was just how awful what we are seeing on the news is for our friends down the street. For many of us, we see this news, and it saddens us, but we have no personal connection to it. It's sad, but it's about someone halfway around the world for us. It has no meaning for our day-to-day lives. That is simply not the case for the folks at Beth Rishon. Some of you may have seen that the cantor, the person who leads the music for their congregation, has a son that has been sent to the front lines of this battle. This isn't some far-off thing for her. She is worried every day for her son. She wants peace and to know that her son is safe. For others, they have already lost a loved one. Members of their congregation have family friends that have died in this conflict. Their grieving is compounded not only by the numbers of lives lost in such a short span of time, but by the brutality of how these deaths have occurred. Rabbi Waxman asked me to share with you how important it is to reach out in this time. If you know someone who is Jewish, check in with them. Ask them how they are doing. Lend a listening ear and let them know what you, that you support them in the midst of these devastating deaths. The other thing that stuck out to me in meeting with the rabbi was how their community is perceiving these attacks. To them, this is not just a political dispute over land or possessions. This was premeditated and barbaric. I'm not even going to share some of the heinous things that have happened, but as I sat with the rabbi and he talked about previous terrorist attacks, he couldn't even put into words the severity of this. He wept while trying to compare previous conflict with just how bad this one was. This was not just another attack. This was the worst single-day massacre of the Jewish people since the Holocaust. He gathered his congregation just a few days ago to be together, to share news and stories, and to pray. For them, this is not just bad news. This is heartbreaking. They see it as another pogrom, 
which is specifically targeting people for removal or death pure and simply because they are Jewish. What Rabbi Waxman could not understand why, what was why it was so hard for people to condemn these actions. They felt a muted response from the world as though these things did not matter because they were happening to Jewish people. I have to be honest, before I met with the rabbi, I had no idea that's how some perceived the situation. He was not without sympathy for the plight of the Palestinian people, but he wanted to know where was the condemnation of evil? Where were the people to say murder and death and kidnapping of civilians is always wrong no matter the situation? Put aside politics, put aside a complicated regional history and recognize that these actions are wrong. They are not only traumatic, but re-traumatizing people who have already gone through so much, who have literally survived pogroms and holocaust and been targeted for one reason and one reason alone, their Jewish ancestry. For many people, they experience these kinds of traumatic events and it makes sense that they become a huge part of a person's life. Sometimes it even becomes all-consuming. All of life is seen through the prism of a traumatic event. And I am left wondering, is there any way forward? Is there any hope that conflicts that have led to terrible and violent deaths could ever be forgiven? Could someone ever let go of and forget such an awful thing? That actually makes me think about a story from many years ago. Some of you might remember the story of Susan Smith. She was a woman from South Carolina who wanted to marry a rich man, uh, but this rich man didn't want any children. Susan, though, had two children at a very young age, so she decided to do the unthinkable to her children and then went on television and accused someone of kidnapping her children. It was all terrible, but what many people may not know is that there was a writer at the time who said, yes, it's terrible, but we need to forgive her. And you know what happened next? Everybody turned on the writer. They wrote, called, and complained trying to get him fired because there was no way they were going to forgive Susan. She not only did this horrible act against her own children, she went on TV and made up a story about what had happened. She had no remorse. She had no shame. She just didn't care about anyone except herself. Why should anyone forgive her when she is unrepentant? And that is exactly the question Rabbi Waxman asked. Should we forgive the unrepentant, the willfully ignorant, the person who not only hurts you but keeps hurting you over and over? Now, if you are a person who's been hurt, who has experienced trauma, there are some things you should know about forgiveness. Forgiveness helps a person recover from trauma. It can lower depression and PTSD. For a person who has experienced trauma in childhood, forgiving someone can reduce the likelihood of going to jail or becoming homeless. It reduces shame, guilt, and can help us grow. So the evidence is pretty strong for a long, with this long list of benefits when we forgive someone for our past trauma. But should we? Should we forgive when that person is still doing evil, when they are steadfastly committed to the wrong thing, 
Rabbi Wexman says, forgiveness is a big part of Judaism, but first there has to be a turning, a repentance for the sin committed. Until then, he says, it almost doesn't even make sense to forgive. Now, I think Jesus was addressing a similar situation when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. This is known as Jesus' longest and most famous sermon. Many people read it and say, well, there is no way Jesus meant for us to do all of this. It's literally impossible. But let's dig in deep and see if that holds true, especially when it comes to forgiveness. Jesus had just finished the Beatitudes, the blessed be the poor, hungry, and merciful, which are known as the ethical commands. And ethics are good. Hearing about the general direction our lives should take is good. But what about the specifics? That's when we get to the law. The law spells out exactly what we should and shouldn't do. So what does Jesus say? He says the law is so important, he would not abolish it, but fulfill it. Now, when I was young, I always thought that meant Jesus was promising he wouldn't destroy the law, but that in fulfilling it, we wouldn't actually have to follow it anymore. But these days, I think what he's saying is that he will indeed follow the law. That might seem strange to us. It seems like Jesus was so different from the Old Testament, all the rules we find there. But instead, he is rejecting the wrong interpretation of the law. What matters is not perfectly living by the rules. What matters is your character and your heart. Even the teachers in Jesus' time would agree heart matters, yet they were not living that way themselves. They overstressed the law and understressed character. Jesus is saying following God is a matter of the heart, not a list of do's and don'ts. It reminds me of a lawyer who once described the messiest divorce proceeding they had ever gone through. It took the couple of few months to settle disputes about every detail of what they owned. This is tens of thousands of dollars of work to decide minutiae of the things they own. Then they get all the way down to one single ashtray, and they cannot settle on this. It was many more months, and now $100,000 for this single ashtray that had come through the husband's family. Finally, it's settled in court, and the wife has won the ashtray. Then, as the case ends, she walks out the front door of the courthouse, and she smashes the ashtray all over the steps and leaves the pieces for her now ex-husband to find on his way out. She may have been right in being entitled to that ashtray, to do what she wanted with it, But she is all wrong when it comes to her character. She is spiteful and angry, and that is not the life which God calls us to. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't just follow the rules. You have to live even better than the rules could ever make you. Last week, we were here talking about the greatest commandment, which is to love God and love your neighbor. But here Jesus says, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So what is the least of these commands? God bless the ancient religious leaders. They actually had an answer to this question. For them, they said the the greatest command was honoring your mother and father, and the least was respecting a mother bird. I'm not quite sure what the larger meaning of that is, 
I'll leave you to ponder that one. But the point was, whether you follow the greatest or the least command by showing respect to that mother bird, the reward was the same for either action. You would gain eternal life, whether it was the smallest or the biggest command that you followed. You are accountable for all of your actions, big and small, so you cannot ignore even the littlest command. But Jesus' point is that even that is actually not enough. Follow the commands, yes, but build character too. Be a better person. That is the goal. Then Jesus goes on to talk about a long list of issues. He explains the right way to interpret all these different rules so that you aren't just following the letter of the law, but actually being a better person. And the first issue he takes on is anger. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Ugh. It's almost, it almost feels like Jesus just made the law ten times harder, right? We can't just not murder someone. We can't even be angry with them now. That's the higher righteousness Jesus calls us to. The outward act of murder is wrong, but so is the inward choice of anger that generates such acts of violence. You got to nip this thing in the bud. You can't wallow in your anger knowing that one day it will take such a toll on you and lead you to do bad stuff. Both of these things, the outward and the inward, are part of the spirit of God's law for us. Here in the U.S., we we talk about being pro-life or pro-choice a lot, and we use a a single word to mean so much about what we believe, but being pro-life can't just be about babies. If you are pro-life, you ought to be for life, whether it's in the womb or on death's doorstep. You ought to be for life, whether it's about educating children or educating criminals. You ought to be for life, whether we are talking about the relationship someone has with another person or a war breaking out in another country. Don't let political terms steal from you the much bigger call God has on your life. You are called to build character. You are called to a way of living that is in line with the spirit of God's law. It brings life everywhere, not death. Even when it comes to literal war, we can't ignore what's happening inside of our own hearts. If you find yourself advocating for revenge, for violence, and murder, you've missed it, friend. Now, there's a difference between clemency and forgiveness. We can forgive and not say everybody gets to run wild doing whatever they want. There are consequences to our actions, yes. But why would we ever want to hold on to the bitterness Why would we want to hold on to the suffering and pain of not forgiving someone? Let go. This is at the heart of Jesus' teaching. Go and make it right with another person before you offer your gift to God. Reconciliation with people is a necessity when it comes to worshiping God. That's because not forgiving another person 
messes up our relationship with God. I can't love God the way I need to if I'm hanging on to judgment and resentment toward people. It just doesn't work. We have to let go of that bitterness. T.D. Jakes once said, forgiveness does not exonerate the perpetrator. Forgiveness liberates the victim. It's a gift you give yourself. You've probably heard someone say, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah, Jesus understood this. Rabbis disagreed about whether someone had to repent first before receiving forgiveness. But what was crystal clear was that we are all called to be better people. That's why Jesus said it's not about the law. This is about your character. Will you let go to take the next step in your journey with God? Don't get stuck in your trauma. Let me be frank here. For some of us, it very well may be too soon. If you've just been hurt, if you've just lost a loved one, there are stages. There is a process to grieve, and forgiveness isn't at the top of that list. Our Jewish brothers and sisters are deep in grief, so this is not the right time to be asking them to forgive someone. But if you've found yourself stuck holding on to that pain for too long, I want to invite you to let go of it today. Let God heal you as you release this burden. That's something I'm convinced Jesus wants to do here in us today. Let's end with this. Uh, You have seen her picture a thousand times. She is nine years old, running along a puddled roadway, arms outstretched, naked, shrieking in pain and fear, and napalm cloud billowing in the distance. Those bombs in Vietnam brought her immeasurable pain. The emotional and spiritual pain was even harder for her to endure. As a child, she was raised in the religion of Kaudai. For years, she prayed for healing and peace, but when her prayers went unanswered, it became clear that either those gods did not exist or did not care. One day in Saigon's central library, she opened the New Testament. As she read through the Gospels, she saw how Jesus had suffered as the Son of God. He had been mocked, tortured, and killed. She had never been exposed to this side of Jesus, the wounded one, the one who bore scars. She came to believe that he really was who he said he was and would do what he promised. She even thought perhaps he could help her make sense of her pain and even her scars. On Christmas Eve, she was attending a special Christmas worship service, and she had so much hatred in her heart, but she wanted peace and love and joy. So she made her way to the front of the church, and she said yes to Jesus. She finally had her healing from God, and she was at peace. It had been half a century since that bomb had detonated on that road. She will never forget the horror of that day, but her faith in Jesus enabled her to forgive those who hurt and scarred her. She says, today I am thankful for everything, even that road, especially for that road. I invite you to find that same peace by forgiving those who have harmed you or brought you trauma. 
Let go of the bitterness inside you. This is why Jesus came to this earth, so that forgiveness could bring friendship and so the lost might be found. Hand your pain over to the Lord so that you may grow in character and once again reclaim your heart. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.